We've episode 25 of Pop Shit, the Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast, where every two weeks we give you an edge on Essence 20. I'm Ryan Casella, one of the designers of the Essence 20 system and an author in the G.I. Joe, Transformers, and My Little Pony role-playing game core rulebooks, as well as others. And I'm Jason Keeley, uh, Renegade Game Studios, former RPG developer. Before we begin, although we both work for Renegade, or have worked for Renegade, on Essence 20 in some capacity, Upshift is not associated with or produced by Renegade Game Studios. This is not an official Essence 20 podcast. That's right. All right. No time for banter. We are breaking down the Cobra Codex. Let's do it. Get into it. As per the product page, the global criminalization, excuse me, the global criminal organization known as Cobra is recruiting, looking for the meanest and most ruthless potential operatives for their dastardly schemes. After all, the world isn't going to take itself over. G.I. Joe role-playing game Cobra Codex Sourcebook presents everything that players need to create a Cobra character, as well as everything a GM needs to run a Cobra campaign. So going over the history of this book, uh, as people mm -hmm. will see if they look over the credits, I am the sole author on it. You are the only developer on it. That's right. And uh, as far as how this book came to be, it, boy, it was a rocky ride. And I don't know how much you're aware of the rockiness of that ride, because I think you came on right after we'd fixed uh, my gigantic screw up. Oh, a gigantic screw up. No, I don't think I know about that. Had certain things played out in different order, I could have gotten blacklisted by Renegade for what I did. Oh, no. Yeah, I was contracted to write a 110,000-word manuscript, and I turned over 50,000 words, oblivious to the fact that I had turned over only half of what I was contracted to write. Oh, for for like Joe or for this book? For this book. This okay. book, I was, like, I, I had met with the producers. This was after uh, the Cobra, sorry, after the Jojo... Core rulebook was written after Operation Gold Iron was written, and right. uh, they offered me as much of this book as I wanted. And by then, I had a couple of books under my belt. And also, Operation Gold Iron was a real team effort, but also there wasn't a leader, right. and so yeah. the opportunity to just kind of work on my own for for a project was really appealing. So I was like, I I know what this book is. I know what I want it to be. I know what needs to be written for it. I'm willing mm -hmm. to take the whole book. And even though I was already mm -hmm. working on My Little Pony at the time, and they usually don't do two uh, contracts at the same time, just in case, you know, somebody screws up and sends in half a book. Sure, yeah, it makes sense. No, they they trusted me with the whole book. And yeah, I, I had way too much faith in my own instinct. I wrote no outline mm -hmm. for this. I just mm -hmm. kind of used the core rule book as the outline, and I would do like one-to-one. -one. It's like, all right, we need an introduction. Here's an introduction. We need influences. Yeah. Here's about the same number of influences doesn't have the influence introduction text but you know it's basically the same length now we need origins right. here's about the same number of origins but we lost the text about how uh how that origin fits into other military organizations if you look in the jojo core rule book the origins are about twice mm -hmm. as long as in any other book because yeah they try and explain just different ways you can contextualize the different options and we right. dropped that because the this was more of an experiential origin rather than like a career origin so the yeah. origins were a little smaller, still comparable in size. Then we got to roles, and I went with two focus options instead of three, and no roles. So that section was now like two-thirds of what it is in the core rulebook. And then mm -hmm. we had no uh, what are the essence scores, no what is combat, no uh, exploration. So yeah, yeah, in the end, yes, I wrote the same amount of options, but it was not nearly as big of a book. And do you know what saved me, Jason? What's that? Sergeant Slaughter. 
Sergeant okay. Slaughter to the rescue because he moved this further into the schedule. And so by the time it was discovered that I had uh, not delivered what I had promised, first of all, I had written several other things. And so like, I, I think I'd gotten mm. more into the good graces of Renegade. So they gave me a second chance to finish up Cobra Codex. Uh, and normally we have a pretty tight right to release schedule. And this one yeah. just happened to be one that got opened up because this limited edition window that we had to release Sergeant Slaughter came up and Cobra Codex got moved down the schedule. That's interesting. I, I think it would have gotten moved anyway because there are just so many core rule books extant. You know what I mean? Just sort of like putting out a book is difficult. It takes more time than, than you might think. It, you know, everything kind of feel like it got a little pushed. So there's room to breathe, one yeah. might say. One advantage for the customer is that this book got options that it wouldn't have if I had written it originally. It's got contacts in mm -hmm. it, which hadn't been a yeah. thing when I was supposed to originally turn it over. And uh, I did the whole, like the first, my, my first deadline was before the release of the Judge Core rulebook. And because mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. book then came out and we had feedback on it, I saw like, oh, people aren't crazy about requisition. So let's see if we can, now that I've got, you know, 50,000 more words to play with for this book, let's see if we can uh, help them out with that by introducing new options. Yeah, great. I'll, I'll kind of flag as we go what's like part one of the writing, what's part two of the writing when it's interesting. But yeah, for the most part, uh, this boy, I I dodged a bullet or a blue laser. <laughs> I mean, it's a, you know, if it hit you, it wouldn't hurt you anyway. No. <laughs> I might have gone, ooh, I think that's ooh. the most damage we ever saw in the cartoon. You, you, you're, you're Jet Blew Up and you had a parachute. It's, it's classic G.I. Joe. <laughs> All right, so let's actually get into this book, starting with the cover. I really like this cover. It's, yeah, it's uh, a fun cover. Yeah, the, the golden accents just kind of spread out, really make the mostly mm -hmm. black and, and uh, black, gray, gold really pop. Yeah. This is clearly the Cobra Commander's like most formal yes, regalia and helmet. <laughs> regalia, exactly, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it goes with three of Cobra's most recognizable characters. They're really, like, on the front. immediately recognized. Uh, yeah. Sorry, this art is by Simone Ragazzoni. I don't know if she's done any other work for uh, Renegade, but, you oh, know, yeah, know, based on this, I, I hope she does. Yeah, same. And then just keeping with the art, when we go inside and we've got the the, the dressing, uh, they went with, or Sarah Robinson went with a very black red with yellow accents. Mm -hmm. And it's good because Cobra's kind of a, car, a hard uh, color palette to make because you've got the blue of Cobra mm -hmm. Commander and the troopers, and that kind of becomes the main color of Cobra. But also the his tanks are black, and a lot of their vehicles are black and red. And I know um, there was a, a card game, Wizards of the Coast, had put out where it was G.I. Joe versus Cobra, and uh, each one had three abilities, and the abilities were color-coded. And G.I. Mm -hmm. Joe got uh, red, white, and blue because that's thematic. But then when you get okay, to Cobra, sure. whose main colors are you know, red, blue, and black. It's right. too much crossover. And so they went with like purple, yellow, and gray. And it just did mm. not fit in with anything we've seen established for Cobra. Whereas yeah. what we've got here in the book, absolutely, it stands out. It looks great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It uh, the, the gold, yeah, like you said, the sort of yellow accents could have evoked that gold from the cover. Moving in, we're at the table of contents. Uh, this is something I've got a question for you. Now, when I turned this over, this yeah. was probably like a dozen chapters, and it's been rearranged a little bit and now summed up into only six chapters. So I have a feeling this was your call in development. I'm just curious what went into this decision. It, 
it was a little bit of like um we don't have the budget to make a full page piece of art for ever for as many chapters as 12 chapters so let's take origins influences roles pop them into one chapter this is actually like something that had been coming up a little bit beforehand you'll probably see this in the sort of the, the more recent power rangers releases um all it's sort of condensing chapters uh so that you, we don't have to have these big splashy opener pages to so many of them that's all really yeah that makes sense yeah and then we go on to cobra wants you which is sort of an introduction and sort of just kind of its own thing but this mm -hmm, yeah. uh, red box text right here on page five is some of my favorite writing of anything i've it's ever done yeah <laughs> it is cobra propaganda it is layered in that it's like this really reads like the truth but i also feel like they're messing with me and just mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. how well you read into it is basically how likely you are to be recruited by cobra exactly yeah <laughs> um you know this this has the kind of in a weird way two introductions mm. not not including what chapter one is it's also sort of a general cobra introduction but to the book itself like you've got before even the table of contents where, where is that oh, no it's right um, after the oh it's right oh it's 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 at the it's right after the world of cobra yeah so it's that that's got also the sort of now the gi joe view of what's going on and sort of more of the truth I guess I, I can tell you a little backstory here. Cause this was something that was added in my mm. second round with the, the mm. book. Uh, what I liked about this, which is uh, for anyone who doesn't have the book, it's a classified letter. Uh, it's a from Scarlet to general Hawk, just talking about, we are reevaluating Cobra's assets and it kind of goes over the content of this book, but contextualizes it from a GI Joe point of view. Yeah. What I like about this is that up until now, all of the books have had a GI Joe point of view. Like it's not, always written in character but generally it assumes you're on gi joe's side and you're against cobra yeah. and so this letter kind of is the transition point between everything that's come mm -hmm. up till now and the frame of mind you're supposed to have with this book you can still look at it a little bit from a gi joe point of view but this is the cobra book definitely and actually just going back to the red box text uh, this was one of the first pages that was previewed on renegade social media and one of my oh. favorite reactions i've ever seen was somebody said like did that box text have to go so hard <laughs> i i don't know i think so yes i mean you're talking about cobra here and it's always the question like this is a world criminal organization how do they get so many people when you see gi joe fighting cobra the cobra has so many people on their side right like just so many grunts that you need to figure how do they get how do they get these people and it's this with this propaganda propaganda machine that they definitely have to have yeah well and also i thought it was important to really early on establish cobra as like more complex than they could be they're not just cartoony villains even though they are literally cartoon villains um mm -hmm. because if you're going to run a campaign where you are playing in cobra cobra needs to be a complex yeah. organization to open up storytelling beyond just this is the bad guy campaign we get to be evil it's like no actually this is like this is a deep, interesting campaign, or at least it has the potential to be if that's what you want from it. it exactly, yeah. It's not just get get Joe. <laughs> it's maybe doing something. Maybe you know we'll we'll see later. Sort of maybe some like infighting and backbiting. <clears throat> All right. So then we go to uh, this is the the World of Cobra chapter, and this is uh, very similar to the introduction we got from GI Joe, where it establishes some of the characters and gives you a little bit of context for how they got here and a little insight into how to role play them. It's divided up differently because Cobra 
as an organization is a lot of different things, including yeah. multiple non-Cobra organizations. And so uh, just to give you that feel, because again, to make, uh, to add depth to a Cobra campaign, like if we just said, oh, the Dreadnoughts are Cobra, everyone's Cobra. It's like, no, if you say that the Dreadnoughts are Cobra adjacent and they work with Cobra, but not always, that gives you now, you can have these scenes with the Dreadnoughts. They right, could be yeah. negotiation scenes. You could flat out have to fight Dreadnoughts sometimes. It adds more depth to everything that's going on in the organization, which is important to the campaign. Uh, yeah, indeed. The writing of this was very different from the writing of the introduction for G.I. Joe. So G.I. Joe has 81 uh, bios that are described as the active roster. And I narrowed that mm -hmm. down from hundreds, from like 300 characters that I could have included. Uh, whereas with Cobra, there's far fewer characters. And it's just kind of the reality of the toy line that's based on. Every year they would mm -hmm. put out a bunch of new G.I. Joes and then a fewer number of villains. And of the villains... Many of them would be nameless grunts. Some of them would be named characters. And it just ended up in this situation where, you know, a character like Cobra Commander is way more recognizable than the majority of the Joes because you need him in every single story, whereas you don't need Duke <laughs> in every story. You can have Flint sometimes. You can just have no officers in certain stories. Uh, yeah. Cobra Commander, in fact, has more dialogue than any other character on the animated series. Makes sense. In writing this, there were some characters that were like, these are absolutely A-list characters. I need to include them. And then I actually got to pick some pretty obscure characters just to round out, like, who we're talking about, who are the NPCs in your campaign, and especially, like, who are the lower-level named characters that your Cobra PCs will be interacting with before mm -hmm. they get to the point where they're talking to Destro and the Baroness. And so that's how characters yeah. like Tombstone uh, made the cut, and I don't know, who's another good example? Hotwire, Scalpel. Also in this section, we go into the different... Named characters, and then we go some. Here's some different troopers that fit into that named mm -hmm. character, uh, that uh, division, and then playing a PC that belongs to that division. I, I had a lot of fun with those sections, the playing an infantry that belongs to this division, just because yeah. it, it feels like when you're rounding out your party, yeah, you'll be, you know, a group of Cobras, but you'll be coming from all these different areas of Cobra, and that will uh, impact who you are a little bit more. And it'll also just give you uh, different ways you can flavor your character as you go. Yeah, it's very helpful advice all, all the way through just to have this instead of just being this sort of lore dump. It's, mm. it's you know, oh, 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 i reading this and I like, oh, like the idea of like, eventually I want to, you know, I want to be as good at driving as Rip It. Mm -hmm. uh, so what do I do? Yeah. So yeah, that goes on for, you know, 20 or so pages. It's a pretty deep section. So it does cover Dreadnoughts and Iron Grenadiers who... You know, we'll probably explore in greater detail later, and they aren't technically Cobra. This is the Cobra Codex, but really, because of how uh, it gives more options for GMs of different characters you can play, uh, or that you can play around with in your campaign, I felt like it was worth bringing them in here. Even though we didn't want to go full into the Iron Grenadier story, because that mm -hmm. sets a campaign at a specific point in time in the G.I. Joe mythos. Whereas, for the okay. most part, the role-playing game is just taking the whole world broadly. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll just finish up with some notes on page 21, where it talks about uh, notable mercenaries and other division groups. We've got Cobra Law. This is our first mention of Cobra Law in a Joe mm -hmm. product. And I went as broadly as possible with it because it can be controversial. And so I opened it up to the possibility of it being like a cult, kind of like it was presented in right. the comics at one point or straight up like it is in the cartoon. I left it vague to empower GMs to decide what role Cobra Law plays in their book. 
uh, in their game, but I still wanted to include them somewhere in this book. Sure, yeah. And then uh, the plague is something that, man, I hope we can explore at a later point because it's uh, 13 vipers that graduated from their division and became this strike team. And it's 13 wow. to mirror there being 13 original Joes. So they did some interesting things with them. And uh, we only give them a small paragraph here, but it's definitely something that um, has not been explored much in G.I. Joe media, but we could really have a lot of fun with. Uh, and then yeah, finally, definitely. the coil. So the mm -hmm. coil is only mentioned here because when uh, I was pitched the product, they were mentioned on the back cover as things that this book will cover. And the problem is that the coil is, so the coil is one of those points in uh, G.I. Joe trivia that got explored two or three times. It's like how people know that in Star Wars, Luke Skywalker was Luke's star killer at one point. And so oh, okay, okay. they named star killer was uh, the clone from, um, Force Unleashed, and then it was also the Superstation in The Force Awakens. Like, multiple people have said, like, ooh, we're going to use that bit of trivia, and now it's this complicated thing. So the coil was going to be Tomax and Zamot's splinter group after G.I. Joe the Animated Movie if they got another season, which they didn't. And so this has just been mentioned in interviews with Buzz Dixon, the, the story editor at the time. And so it was taken as um, the name of Overlord's group, which we explored in the Sergeant Slaughter book, but right. also, um, it was used for, uh, like, um, Cobra motorcycle commandos. Like, it was used in the toy lines at some point. So, yeah, there's now multiple things that the name The Coil could apply to. And I wasn't told which one we were using for this book, so I just said, it could be <laughs> any of those things. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could, whatever you want. Or all of it. Maybe they just, because it's, it's such a snake-related name that anyone might have taken it. Yeah. Yeah, it is a good one. All right, moving on to Cobra characters. So um, we do a little bit of a refresh of making Cobra of making characters, but right, just adding it. a little bit more of the steps specific to this book and how you'll be going back and forth between different books. This making uh, making a ruthless character determined to rule the world. I just want to talk real quickly about the art uh, at the beginning of this chapter, where it was just like it didn't want to use. It's sort of like an example of like, oh, here's some characters you could make in a way, right? Uh, so these are generic, and you know, PCs essentially. Uh, not really generic; they're very <laughs> clearly what they are. You know, there's a dreadnought, a, a you know, a red ninja, and a guy who's just a cobra uh, with his helmet off. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, a viper with his helmet off. Um, but it was just sort of fun, sort of like going like, oh, let's show like kind of what you can make uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and I like turned out really good. I think that uh, the red ninja is just like straight up the red ninja than the. Trooper is a little bit more personality that the player would bring in, and then the Dreadnought is a totally original design, but you can still feel what they were going for. Yeah, I like the this trio of characters. Is there some point I feel like this uh, lady in the front, this Dreadnought comes back? Uh, oh, I'll keep an eye out for her. Here. Yeah. All right, then we go for influences. So, uh, yeah, had a lot of fun with the influences here, and most of my goal with this was to make sure that everything is deeper than it than it needs to be at first blush. So like angry is a great example where it could have just been, you're angry, like that's it. You're just an angry person. But instead I, I got really psychological about it, like whether due to environmental, chemical or experimental factors. Mm -hmm. um, this is me drawing on some of my experience when I was working as a teacher for students with autism and a lot of the stuff that people just dismiss as mental illness. Like once you are in the right, field, yeah. you realize there's depth to it. There's uh, yeah. Not motivation behind it, but like there's there's core reasons behind it. And so 
anywhere I could draw from a personal experience to contextualize or flesh out an idea, that's what I did. And Angry is a great example of that. And really just most of the influences, especially the ones that are like personality-based or experience-based, I, I tried to draw mm -hmm. from that kind of thing. I just noticed a, a, a flub on my part here. Mm. For space reasons, as you can see, each of these influences is pretty tightly packed onto one page. I think the the influence bonds take up more space than they need to. I'll be perfectly frank. That, yep. that doesn't need to be 12 of them. <laughs> Those should have just been examples. Anyway, to do that, I had to cut the J. Joe character examples that were all in here. I probably don't have noticed that, but I forgot to take the sentence that says that that exists. Right. <laughs> on page 25, it says each influence comes with a G.I. Joe character example, too. I'm like, oh, sh I just noticed that. Oh, no. Oh, well. And uh, you know what? That's actually stuff that was added again on that second pass on the book where right, originally sure. I just had Cobra character examples and then just to reinforce the idea that, yes, this is the Cobra Codex, but these are G.I. Joe role-playing yeah. game options. These are Essence 20 options. So if you exactly. can work that theme into your character, doesn't matter what faction they belong to. Um, yeah. They were good. They were good examples. I just, it was the first thing that I had to cut to, to make some of these fit because uh, some of them were very, very tight. Actually, I like the tightness of the layout that every page oh, yeah. gets art, every page gets all the information you need. And yeah, I agree with exactly. you. Those background bonds, they they take up way too much real estate for what they are. I, they, exactly. They do very little. <laughs> so we got angry, chemist, conniving, desperate. I liked desperate. Desperate is a good example of how I approached writing this book. I basically just mm -hmm. went to 3djoes.com, opened up every Cobra file card, read them, and looked for anything that like, oh, that's a good turn of phrase, so that will be the name mm -hmm. of an option. And it went on one list. It's like, oh, that's a good motivation, so it'll go on this other list. And so desperate, right, yeah. we've got the art here, Copperhead. He is the Cobra character example. And yeah, he is a gambler. Not a very good one. And so we just <laughs> assume that even though he's not a good person, he might be in Cobra anyway. We definitely know he's in Cobra because he's got debts to pay off, possibly to Cobra themselves. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he's kind of trapped. Yeah. Disenfranchised, indoctrinated. I, I love Buzzer more than any other Dreadnought. And it is specifically because <laughs> I just grew up with him, assuming he was like any other Dreadnought. And then finding out right. that according to his file card, he's got this deep background of being a... a psychology student or sociology student and he just convinced himself that being a biker is way cooler than what he was doing well i mean he gets to have a chainsaw yeah. how does that by the way how, how does that work <laughs> how does he not kill people with that thing uh he slaps them by the side i don't know <laughs> okay we definitely see him rip vehicles apart with it but yeah maybe he never uses it in hand-to-hand -hand combat there you go we'll say that's there it there you go you, yeah. you know what? Maybe it does make him vulnerable in hand-to-hand -hand combat because he comes with, uh, it's like a nunchuck, but instead of a staff on the other side, it's just kind of like a blade. Mm. And I think it's I think it's actually called a blade chuck or something like that. So yeah, that might be his hand-to-hand -hand weapon, whereas the chainsaw is his anti-vehicle weapon. Solved it. Mistrustful. So Firefly's file card flat out says he is extremely paranoid, and I was not comfortable mm -hmm. naming an influence paranoid, so I went with mistrustful, yeah, even though it's a bit more of a mouthful. But uh, I think it's just, it, it conveys the same idea, like Firefly never takes off his mask. He, he just does not trust anyone with any personal information. And so that became this influence, uh, just kind of cleaned up for more modern sensibilities. Yeah, great. Uh, scapegoat. So I like Storm Shadow as a complicated character who is not just the evil ninja that is on the team, even though that's sometimes how he's portrayed, especially on the cartoon. 
but the comic really fleshed him out as a character. So any use of Storm Shadow, I try to make sure that he is not seen as a one-note character, that he is a character with a lot of depth. And Scapegoat is a very sympathetic influence. Yeah. Nice. And we've got Spoiled. And yeah, in the writing of Spoiled, I realized that if you took both Spoiled and Desperate, you ended up in a situation where you got nothing from two influences. So I wrote a little sidebar explaining, like, I mean, maybe you could do that, but, you know, justify it in story. There's there's reasons to take both, but just know that mechanically you will have gotten yourself full circle back to no benefit at all. Yeah. It's the it's the it's the classic uh, uh, point buy system where you mm. you know take the penalties for like I got making yourself blind for instance and then using those points to buy the ability to see mm. <laughs> through blind sense and stuff like that yeah yeah I have a coworker who likes to describe Daredevil as the blind person whose superpower is sight <laughs> all right so then rounding out our influences tragedy unscrupulous villainous and violent. Okay, so why is again? I've always every time I look at this picture of Big Boa, I'm like, that's just Strong Bad. I don't know. Did Strong Bad base? Did they base Strong Bad off of Big Boa, or did Big Boa get based off of Strong Bad? Well, Big Boa definitely didn't get based off Strong Bad. Big Boa came out okay, in, fair enough. Like Big Boa twenty years before well Strong early. Bad. I wrote Strong Boa just to remind myself what Strong Bad <laughs> looks like. I mean, Strong he's Bad a guy with has boxing gloves, and, has boxing gloves for hands, and and no shirt. <laughs> And All right, kind of, the no shirt. Slash... All right, there is more strong bad in the big boa design than I really thought, but I mean, his big thing is that he's got this weird big technological helmet, whereas strong yeah, bad's yeah, yeah. got a luchador helmet, uh, a luchador mask. Exactly, luchador mask. Yeah, it's a little different. A little different. But every yeah. time I look at big boa, that's all I can think of. All right, well, I'm going to try not to look at him and see that myself. <laughs> Moving on to origins. This time, you managed to fit both the cobra and the Jojo characters yes. in the examples, so that's good. Yeah. Because yeah, like. This is a Jojo role-playing game. We want as much presence of the brand as possible. And so just even just name-dropping with a little bit of backstory about the character. As a Jojo fan, when I go into the book, when I spot something like that, I'm like, oh, that's super cool. Actually, I forget who did I say was the assassin. Oh, Shooter. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. Shooter being a sniper and being the Jojo the original team's secret weapon. I suppose I could have taken all those bonds and, like, cut them in half and I'll put six in there and then when I had room for the G.I. Joe example, but then that would have been a weird disconnect between the way the bonds look from the G.I. Joe core rule book. I don't know. It's all, and, and, and that's harder to do, honestly, cut, cutting a table out and in, in, in post layout. Oh it's yeah. It's just cutting a paragraph out. So I, I took the easy route. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah. These bonds, they, and you know what? It was a lot harder for me to write the bonds than it was for the character examples. Like that just comes naturally to me. So had you had I struggled to get the last five or six bonds out and then five or six bonds got cut every time, that would have just been disappointing. No, fair enough. Alright, uh, so we've got Assassin Origin, Bully, Corrupt, Criminal, Gifted, Iconoclast. That's just a great word. Silver Metal Syndrome. This, uh, I listened to an entire, I believe it was a Freakonomics radio, about how it's so much worse to come second place in the Olympics than it is third. It is like mm. silver medal athletes, like they, they suffer more from depression and from things like yeah. that just because of how close they came. And so I based an entire uh, origin around that. And then we've got test subject, which was originally an experiment. And I think because experiment was an influence of Transformers, is that why this one got renamed? I uh, maybe. Gosh, I don't remember now. 
I mean, yeah. it's a minor change, <laughs> and honestly, I it bugs me whenever there's two mechanics that have the same name. So I'm glad it got caught and and changed. I I assumed it was you, but anyway, it probably just not something you would remember doing. Yeah, this is minor something that minor. Um, gosh, I I really can't remember. So one thing I noticed in writing the origins is that they do when it's uh, when when we're going with more experiential uh, origins, it does start drifting more towards these could have all been influences. Like mechanically, yeah. they're clear differences, but yeah, conceptually, we could have had twice as many influences and half as many origins. True, true, true. It's just a fuzzy line. Yeah. In, for G.I. Joe, at any rate, between the different... And I think probably for Power Rangers, for the difference between origins and influences. Well, the core rulebook origins, I don't think, have the same problem because it is really like yeah. a career path. Whereas other than yeah. Assassin and Criminal and maybe Bully, there's not so much... Uh, uh, they're not just it's straight clear. up career paths. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, the more origins and influences I've been writing, the more I'm realizing just at some point it goes left or right, and it could go either way. Yeah. All right, roll options. So this was another area where really cool idea came after the original writing, and that is the Cobra Division. So originally the Cobra yeah. Faction perk was very similar to the G.I. Joe Faction perk, and uh, I think it just was you got the Cobra Battle Cry instead of the G.I. Joe Battle Cry. But after my turnover, one of the things that I wished I had explored more was the idea that when you join Cobra, you are at some point put into one of the Cobra, like you become a Viper of some sort, and then you have to graduate right. from that. And I didn't feel like I had mechanically translated that idea into the core rulebook anywhere. So then when I got another chance at it, this idea came to me that it's like, okay, well, what if we make Cobra a much more flexible uh, faction and we go mm -hmm. with the divisions and then what division you're in nudges your build in another direction and it means that you can build an infantry guy but you can be in a science division and so you're yeah a, a little broader instead of a little more specialized with your build yeah no i mean it, it it's it, i think it's a great addition uh it, like it, it it adds a small amount of complexity uh to the character creation but it it adds a lot for that you get a lot more depth to the characters yeah and it was fun to write so hopefully it's also fun to yeah. look through them and fun to pick there you go yeah yeah uh, going through the roles, so there are no new roles, there are only focus options, but there are also some replacement perks whenever something was just too darn heroic in the G.I. Joe version. True. So we've got the... <laughs> so um, the first focus option we have here is the Commando Poisoner, and mm -hmm. the example Joe that I wrote was Ozone. Now I have said that I don't... I try not to make anything up, I try to base everything on something from somewhere... Mm -hmm. Ozone has never poisoned anyone in anything. And Ozone actually showed <laughs> no. up in cartoons, in comics, like for, for a okay. later character from the original line, he actually has a decent amount of media presence, none of which is him poisoning anybody. But Ozone, the chemical, is poisonous. And so when mm -hmm. I was struggling to find any G.I. Joe example that fit that bill, I was like, all right, Ozone, we've never seen you this side of you, but trust yeah. me, it exists. That's good. Mm -hmm. the, the, all the G.I. Joe examples added to the role focus options were helpful uh, for for the book to have different pieces of art, right? So we could use G.I. Joe art a little bit in the, in this section. Because we've got a picture of Ozone here. And, Actually, know, we don't. Cobra. We have a picture of Airtight. He's oh, like, no. Is that Airtight? That's Airtight, yeah. Oh. yeah. Oops. I was actually talking to Kevin about if how we could fix this. And I'm like, we can't just swap Ozone with Airtight in the example. 
because Airtight is like the chemical cleanup guy. So he is the furthest thing from a poisoner in G.I. Oh, Joe. He is the anti-poisoner. Anti-poisoner. Oh, no. I guess I guess I just gave them the wrong... Oh, shoot. Yeah, I'm... Uh, the wrong... Uh, whatchamacallit? Reference art. I mean, Airtight is the more known character than Ozone. Yeah. And um, I, I can say that bef- um, for the pawns, this has been corrected. So he, okay, there will great. be an airtight pond, not an ozone pond. Okay, great. Well, yeah, good. Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. It happens. Uh, there's also one other thing. I'll, I'll call it out when we get to it. Uh, but anyway, both of them are Joes, and we have these other, just some of them, some more Joe art in this section than not just the Cobra art. Exactly. Yeah, because I think the sample poisoner was Cesspool, who was already in, uh, he's somewhere else, his art. I might have have him twice somewhere else too <laughs> some of the, so there is some reused art in here but yeah well you know, that's just because he's got a stat block oh here we go he's the chemist right. yeah that totally makes sense yeah um so the poisoner basically exists because uh we had a whole bunch of poison rules that were added to this and so this then became mm-hmm. the focus mm-hmm. center around those rules it's just a matter of adding functionality to a new option that's not in the core rule book and so can be harder to implement sometimes mm-hmm and then the other one is the saboteur, which is like fits commando, fits cobra, and we got uh, crimson asp here is a good call as like a deeper cut character, adds a little of, like a few more female characters to the roster, and yes, yeah, 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 and a good piece of art. Then we've got infantry. So infantry, uh, right? It ended up being the armager and the what's the other one? The variant are the two focus that made the cut, but actually. Before I wrote the armager, I wrote, oh, actually, it was something very similar to the officer one, the, uh, what is it? Not Taskmaster. Oh, the Exemplar. So the Exemplar was originally the infantry uh, focus. Okay. And then it was just that the two infantry focus options were just, you get one focus perk spread across, like, you just get the same focus perk over and over again. Mm. And that was really boring. And so I figured out the armature was a cool like weapon specialist and uh, it doesn't get too close to the, um, the Vanguard who has a similar niche. And so, uh, yeah, nice. this basically came up because I didn't like how those two focus options sat next to each other in the one section. It felt like I was shortchanging people that were building infantry. Mm. Good thinking. Thank you. So uh, the other piece of art that's uh, mixed up here is the variant art. It says it's the Hydro Viper. That's actually an eel, which is funny because in the Cobra in the Jadro Core rulebook, we also have the wrong art for the eel. We have a Cobra Diver, not an oh, eel. Okay. And then it, when you get to the contacts, there is an eel contact, and we've got the Hydro Viper art there. So those got switched around. Hmm. I'm not going to harp too much on art stuff like that, but that's just (laughs) because two in the same section, I figured I'd bring it up. Yeah, it's tricky, tricky. Yeah, but then the variant is similar to the Poisoner in that we have a new option, which is the alterations, and so this is the focus all about those alterations. Yeah. Uh, Officer, we've got the Taskmaster. Yeah, just the evil officer, the evil leader. Totally makes sense. And Mm -hmm. the uh, Exemplar, which is fun because that is something that we've seen several times in Cobra where it's just... Often it'll just be, here's a character, or here's a trooper we know, like the Range Viper. We've repainted them, and now it's just an individual, and they're the leaders of the Range Viper. And so that's what the Exemplar is, and it just makes you better, or sorry, it makes 
you uh, still part of what you used to be, but now you're a leader. And so you get the officer benefits, but you still get some benefits from what, uh, you know, the, the branch you were part of before. Oh, uh, you want to talk about how it ended up being branch? Oh, right. This is familiar. Uh, what was it before? It was division. Uh, division. Right. And then we had divisions with the, with the, per, the uh, Cobra faction perk. Yeah. So it needed to have a change because of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It was using division two different ways mechanically. For, and, yeah. you know, that's never good. That's never good. Uh, Ranger. So uh, the Firestarter was actually a focus that I wrote for the core rulebook Ranger. And then when we were going over it and I had to figure out a G.I. Joe example for the Firestarter, I was like, shoot, this is not we don't have one. This is a cool essence 20 <laughs> option, but it's not a good GI Joe option because it's not just a fire specialist. It really is like you, you relish in but, your use of fire. And yeah. so it makes much more sense here for torch and as a Cobra option. So that was just something that I carried over that had been written and then replaced with, I don't know, one of the other uh, Ranger focus options. And then the gorilla. So I, I like the play on words here in that gorilla sounds like gorilla. And this is the focus mm -hmm. option that gives you a bunch of natural attacks, and it is based on the alterations. Good point. So uh, it, it still applies to uh, guerrilla warfare. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, believe it or not, Jason, I slipped in some uh, wordplay. You snuck in a pun. <laughs> How dare you? But I really do like this build as the close combat uh, ranger who bases their attacks on uh, on the animals that they study. And Naga Hyde is a great yeah. example of that because Naga Hyde is just disgusting. <laughs> He's a just a weirdo. Mm -hmm. uh, Renegade was kind of funny because Renegade, by the flavor, is the Joes that are most likely to have been recruited into Cobra. So now we're doing the Cobras that are most likely to be recruited into Cobra. Like I had to <laughs> do a little bit of a dance with the flavor to make sure that it all still made sense and to figure out like what a Renegade is in a Cobra context. Uh, and it basically just became their the dreadnoughts, and so these both focus right, yeah. options are different versions of the dreadnoughts. So you've got the, uh, uh, yeah. So the rigor, the rigor mm -hmm. gains a personal vehicle at first level. Uh, I think this is really cool. I was a little bit worried about the power level here, but I think it's not a super powerful vehicle, but it does give them a lot of advantages uh, when they're driving and. Basically, like, that's always such a hard niche to fill, the vehicle driver, because if you're not yeah. in a vehicle, you're losing a bunch of access to your powers. And yeah. so the riding rig is just, it is a small vehicle that, you know, if you're assigned a tank, you can just hook to the back of the tank, you drive the tank around. When it's no longer the tank part of the mission, you take your riding rig off, and you still get your advantages when you are, uh, for being a driver. And it's not, like, it's not super fast, it is definitely not tough, but it is just vehicle enough to count as being in a vehicle for your vehicle based perks and you can wear it as armor you can wear it as an armor uh i don't know if uh, i probably should have shown you this uh when you were picking art for it uh it's too late now mm. but there are some like motorized backpacks that came out and some of them oh. are like you can just throw a jeep on your back and run around <laughs> with it until it's time to to whip it off and drive around on it some of them are ridiculous especially like the scale just doesn't work but some of them are super cool yeah all right, then we got the troublemaker, which is really like this is this is the dreadnought. This is the most dreadnought role it could be if you just yeah. want to be, you know, Ripper. Like the if you're just picturing a dreadnought and you want to build that character, you can be that character. In fact, Red, Let It Rip was inspired by the fact that I had Ripper in mind mostly when I was making the troublemaker. 
Makes sense. This was a weird thing that I did, and I'm curious what your thoughts on it. Level 20, mm. you get the other focuses level one perk. You get a riding rig. Balance-wise, it's weird that your capstone is the other one's it's... opener, mm. but at the same time, the first level perks tend to be the ones that are like defining of that role. Yeah, you don't want to get too much crossover there, too much have some niche protection. So yeah, coming in at 20th level makes makes sense. And it's, yeah, it, I think at this point, you you know, you've got so much other stuff mm -hmm. uh, that the capstone isn't necessarily the most important thing about your character. All right. So then the technician, we get the uh, biotechnician, which uses all the new alterations. So once again, it's a focus based on new options in this book and the rocketeer. Uh, so the original bio for uh, sorry the original flavor for this was that the oxford english dictionary defines a rocketeer as someone that uses a jetpack and what had <laughs> happened was i had written some flavor text then added a comment saying in case you're worried that you know disney owns the name rocketeer the oxford english dictionary oh. defines it and i was like you know what i'll just <laughs> use that as the flavor text and then you cut it out and uh, it was so it was just so out of, it felt out of left field because it wasn't even written uh, to be flavor text and it was just used as yeah. flavor text yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of what it felt like to me. I was just like, hey, you know, look, you know, you're uh, you're some some idiot who straps a rocket to your back. GI <laughs> uh, Joe has a lot of jetpacks, and including a couple of characters that their entire niche depends on the jetpack. And so, if you were building to make that character, so if you were building to make a Targat, or you were building, mm -hmm. uh, ah, shoot, what's the name? Actually, he's probably the example in here. Barrel roll. Oh, yeah, Barrel Roll is another example. Barrel Roll is a high-altitude sniper. But um, uh, th there was one character who uh, he was actually... Um, you could only get him for, through Kellogg's. He was a mail-away offer through them. And it was just huh? like a repainted flash head on a Duke body. And he came with a jetpack. Ah, it's bugging me that I'm forgetting his name. But in any case, there's several... His name What's that? was Cereal Bowl. His name was Cereal Bowl, right? No, but... So you can only get him through Kellogg. No, no. You know, it's... It, we're lucky that Kellogg's didn't insist on some kind of Kellogg's-based pun. <laughs> <laughs> this is Fruit Loop. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, so it, it is core to a lot of G.I. Joe characters' concepts. And, like, like if you've seen the G.I. Joe animated movie, half the characters are just flying around on jetpacks. It's, it's a super right, cool yeah. scene, super memorable. And so uh, the compromise here is that you get a jetpack, which gives you a fly speed at level one, but it takes up two hands of equipment. Makes sense. I, I was pretty happy when I came up with that compromise because, like, I think at one point I just had the jetpack and I was like, that's too powerful. We got to do something about this. Especially when the dreadnought, the uh, the rigor is just getting some, like, basically a, a non-armored motorcycle. We needed something right. to make this more comparable. And do you take off the machine guns? Yes, you take off the machine guns. But you can you can requisition upgrades for it to make it have it have, it have guns. Yeah. Man, I need to make a Rocketeer. I... I love a good jetpack, and <laughs> yeah, uh, if I ever end up being a player in a G.I. Joe campaign, whether it's Joe or Cobra, I'm go. definitely making a Rocketeer. Like, Technician was already my favorite role, and now I have my favorite focus. Mm -hmm. Actually, I could make the Rocketeer for the my blog. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just thinking <laughs> out loud at this point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Vanguard, we get the City Strikers. Who, um, City Striker 
is a word that Hasbro likes to throw on repaints to try and justify them. Oh. It'll usually be okay. a little more urban of a repaint. So like there's an Optimus Prime that's blue and teal. Oh, sorry, black and teal. He looks really cool. It's not to be mistaken for Nemesis Prime, who is black and purple. Hmm. So anyway, yeah, I, I borrowed that from Hasbro. I figured they wouldn't mind. Oh, cool. They are the urban specialists and the shield specialists, because again, shield's a new mechanic introduced later on. And so we wanted to make yeah. sure that, uh, you know, you, you had more options to use it. And the Warthogs are our melee combatants, which, again, it surprised me that the Vanguard didn't have this option to begin with. Yeah. And uh, I called Warlord out as the sample... Um, sorry, not Warlord. Overlord as the sample Warthog because the Vanguard is the, like, pseudo-leader role and because uh, Overlord comes with, like, claw accessories. And so okay. it fit this idea that, yeah, you are this vicious hand-to-hand combatant, but... You're still a vanguard, so you're still a leader type. Uh, then we get to the divisions, and yeah, this boy, this filled up a lot of those missing fifty thousand words. There is a chunky section. Yeah, and again, it was like an opportunity to contextualize Cobra, to make more references to the brand, and then to give you direction uh, as a GM or as a player for how to incorporate this stuff into the uh, into the, your campaign. Probably was. Uh, more verbose than it needed to be because I really was aware that I had more words to fill, but I don't yeah. think it's bad. In fact, I think it still ends up being a really fun section. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's three paragraphs of of sort of yeah, like you said, contextual information about what these versions are and what they have and who who they might face yes. in the field. But then and then there's the the perk part, the the the, the rules part is, is not very complex at all. It's just like when you've got this, this add that to your Cobra perk. Yeah, actually, that opposition section you were just talking about, the who you're most likely to face, that was the one that was the I would be least likely to write if it was a tighter word count, but I think it adds a lot. Like, not only does it get more G.I. Joe just names in text in this book, which is yeah. important, and lets us draw on some more obscure things, because, like, if you're in the desert and the only desert trooper you know is Dusty, then that's going to be a pretty boring campaign. So here's, like, a whole bunch of stuff, some of them more obscure, some of them, it's a bit of an interpretation of how they ended up in the desert, but... Right. There you go. These are the things you can now build a campaign around. And then we get the general perks. And I remember this being a really chunky section when I turned it over. And I was surprised it's only a couple of pages of general perks. Like, there's still a lot of them. And I guess it's just, yeah. you have to put so much thought into a general perk, but you get so few words out of it at the end. <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I cut anything. No, I don't think so. Uh on this so it's just sort of like oh you gotta have the poison stuff in here you gotta have the you know the experimental uh alteration stuff in here mm -hmm. then you need some other bits uh one thing i'm ex extra proud of is that whenever there's any kind of like tree where you've got the lesser version the medium version and the best version i like to have them alphabetically go from weakest to most powerful <laughs> and so with cybernetic part uh, enhanced part and uh, optimized part that does it for the cybernetics and then on the uh genetic side you've got engrafted mutation uh what else? outright mutation evolving mutation oh sorry evolving mutation yeah there we go engrafted mutation yeah. evolving mutation yeah outright mutation yeah uh there is one oh here we go the double life perk was clearly written before we had the contact rules 
because had I written this after the fact, it would have yeah. just been you gain a contact to represent your double life. Instead, it's this long explanation of calling on people in your your civilian life and they don't know your cobra like this had mm. this could have been half that length and just been you get a contact but you know what having two different mechanics to get to the same endpoint just means that if you say don't like the contact rules you now have another yeah. way of representing them in your character it's fair it's fair the cobra battle school graduate that is text that i got from one of the file cards I don't know what a Cobra Battle School is. It's never explained. It's just referenced one time. I thought it was cool, and so I threw it on here as a perk. That's funny. It's Cobra vocational training. Combat vocation, but yeah. Yeah. All right, then we get to alterations, and it's just... It, it's kind of the closest thing we have to Power Rangers powers, but for G.I. Joe, in that you can... Yeah. They, they are a part of your character, and it is an investment to get them, and it's beyond what you can get with equipment, generally speaking. It still kind of skews similar to some of the advantages you get from uh, your equipment and from other perks, because it is still G.I. Joe, and it's still... There's only so sci-fi that it gets, but yeah. it does add a lot of uh, flexibility to how you build your character, and some complexity, but it's also 100% opt-in. You will not accidentally get an alteration, and so that, if you're... If, I feel like if we're going to add subsystems like this, as long as it's completely optional, we can get a little more complicated with how we express it. Mm -hmm. like One thing I debated the whole way when I was doing this was whether to have just straight up, here's the list of cybernetics, here's the list of or um, organic uh, alterations, or genetic, sorry, uh, or whether to have it just, that there's really only a flavor difference of whether it's cybernetic or genetic. And... Ultimately, the only way that these are different is that if you go cybernetic, then you can qualify for the cyborg general perk. Whereas if you go genetic, you can qualify for the mutant general perk. That is the only mechanical difference at any point in the whole book between those two. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things. Like, if you want to have these, you don't want to have to do two of each, like, mm. for, for you know. Yeah, like flight graphs. I don't want wings and yeah. some kind of you know, rocket super different perks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do want to call it. We got art of Mara in there. That's really fun. She shows up yeah. in a couple of episodes of the original animated series. She never has an action figure and that put her in that like gray zone of, we could probably use her, but maybe we shouldn't, but she fits here perfectly. And she's instantly recognizable. If you remember those episodes and if not, you know, she still clearly looks like some kind of aquatic mutants yeah, that cobra has created yeah exactly i had to i remember reaching out to you about that mm. like can we get somebody in here <laughs> i need i need art uh we got a little defining your alterations i love putting in these little sidebars at the end saying like sure, we deliberately sure. went broad so that do what you want with them figure out exactly how you want to express them um because mm -hmm. i've i've definitely been in situations where i've built a character and i want to take a choice but there's like one line <laughs> in the description where i'm like well that's not my character at all and it means nothing to the build and i could just take it anyway so uh, i just like that i'm giving people permission to ignore those lines or any line they want all right chapter three equipment and vehicles uh this is really cool art i don't believe these robots troopers in the background are based on anything i think they look cool they look like they are some cross between cobra commander and bats do you know anything uh about their design um I don't know. I know I wrote the I know I wrote the art brief for this, so it was just like I just wanted Destro 
I don't know if I said whether or not there was anybody in the background. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, you know what? The, you know, I don't. You know what? I don't think these are robots. Okay. I think these are dressing dummies. Okay. Just Cobra theme dressing. I think it's maybe wrote they're just sort of like armor holders, right? Like, oh, come by. You know, they're mannequins. They're they're just Cobra themed mannequins. That doesn't mean that Destro wouldn't also probably program them to come to life, right? And protect his <laughs> dock if need be, right? Uh, they might be robotic in, in nature, but I think I wrote them up as just mannequins. Also, I really like the framing of this because it's like this is full on Destro. Destro is the center point, and yet. He's just surrounded by so many boxes, which really gives you the idea. He's got so much weapons, but it doesn't feel like cluttered image. And we just get hints of like, oh, this is some kind of gun with a green power cell. This is some kind of grenade. We don't get the full detail, but we're intrigued by everything going on here. Yeah. And this big old, I believe this is either the top of one of the weapon cases or it's a big old Cobra shield. Uh, Which one? Uh, The big red shield looking thing. Oh, I think that's the shield. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. It could have been at oh, the top. I see, yeah. yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, but I think that's a shield. I think I meant that as a shield. All right, so then uh, we start off with the equipment packages. So yeah, this was one of the things that I got to write mm-hmm. based on feedback. Mm-hmm. People did not like the rec. Well, even the people that liked the requisition rules found them a little clunky to be doing before every mission, and they want an alternative. And so this is the alternative: the weapon packages. It's just if you meet the requirements, either by being trained or qualified. You can just take this, and they have flavorful mm-hmm. names based on the different divisions, but those are just optional ways you get in there. So this yeah. is also, if you go into it let being like, I want to make an alley viper, you don't want to only sometimes get your shield because you are trained but not qualified in your shield. And so this means right. that you were always the alley viper. You've always got your shield. Don't worry. Uh, and this was fun to write because I just sat down with uh, a book like this, which is just showing all the different Joes oh, wow. and all their different equipment. I flipped to a bad page. Here, yeah. So I just kind of went through wow. all the different characters and all the different equipment and say, what does this trooper absolutely need to be that trooper? And whether it's weapon, battle dress, or kits. And then, yeah, just broke it down like that. So it was just sat by the pool one day with a couple of those collected <laughs> reference books and a notepad. Yeah, it's very helpful, this, this sort of thing. Uh, then we've got the poisons and toxins, which it just feels like a very Cobra option. And it's something that the game needs this seems like a great place mm-hmm. to put it exactly yeah and so the difference between poisons and toxins poisons are more generic whereas toxins are specific often drawn from specific source material like compound z is canonically where cobra viper uh, where cobra zombies come from um <laughs> funhouse was from an episode of the cartoon where and this always frustrated me so dusty and airtight are in a room and these cobra commander faced balloons are fallen and airtight takes off his, you know, his filtration mask, pops a <laughs> balloon, and then goes it's like, why? And Dusty was right there. They could have just had Dusty be the subject of that and have airtight use his his specialty to his, do it. His whole thing. Exactly. I don't know. Uh, anyway, hmm. uh, sludge is canonically the stuff that comes out of cesspools water pistol. And Venom is canonically uh, how uh, the mutant animals come from. And so the ones that needed more complicated uh, explanations were toxins, and so they get their own section. And then otherwise, it's uh, just kind of a fun other way that you can be attacking people. And then weapon upgrades. A lot of this is just based on the new poisons and how to integrate them into existing material. Every now and then there's something useful, like the recoil brace. Once per scene, use this weapon as a one-handed weapon until the end of your turn. 
I think this was based on the Dreadnought threat has that so that they could ride their motorcycles and use their two-handed oh, power man. tools. Uh, yeah, this lets them do stuff like that. But yeah, for the most part, or uh, here, Screwball lets gives you the bypassing trait, which lets you be good against shields because we didn't want people that mm -hmm. use the later option to suddenly have advantage because there's no counter to that <laughs> built into the system. Uh, then we've got shields. Shields I had fun with where you have the passive and the active effects. Some of them really only benefit you if your evasion and toughness are comparable because otherwise you'll probably prefer one or the other. But uh, it, it's oh, still... Fair, yeah. yeah, it gives you, if you were in a situation where like a weapon has a greater effect if it targets your toughness, then suddenly you can raise up your riot shield, increase your toughness, you lower your evasion, but now you're going to be defending with the more useful defense rather than the better defense. It just gives you a little more flexibility in how you're running your character. Mm -hmm. And then battle dress upgrades. Uh, I don't remember any of these. Oh, actually, no, uh, I really enjoyed the uh, uniform and there was... Oh, actually, and also in the weapons. So there was a couple of things I liked. One was ceremonial. And so it's mm. this is a lesser version of it, but it's fancier. And that just sums up like stuff like the Iron Grenadiers. Like every now and then you'll see an option that is just as purely the fancy version. The Crimson Guard are like that as well. And then it's experimental where it's this is a better version or this is a, a, makes your weapon better, but also gives you the fatal flaw of if you roll a fumble, you will explode. <laughs> Always good. Yeah. Yeah, that actually ended up being so useful that it also shows up in uh, Ferocious Fighters. Cool. Yeah, new pets. Make sure you can have snakes. Make sure you can have venomous pets. Otherwise... Uh, oh, and... Uh, what is it? The sacrificial pet, where you can have your, your pet take the hit for you. Um, <laughs> again, it seemed like a very Cobra option. Yeah, if you do this, you are a monster. Though. Yes, but an alive monster. Mm, sure. <laughs> Uh, the new vehicles. So we've got the air chariot here and the air chariot. I had originally included a sidebar that said, here's different vehicles. You can make this so that it's not just Serpenter's air chariot. Uh, and I thought it would got cut, but somebody pointed out that if you look behind the art, you could see some white letters over the red Cobra logo in the background. And so you could actually highlight this text made it in. And then I guess got cut because oh, of room for art, what? but the text is still there. And somebody on the oh, discord Lord. copied and pasted it. Huh? I didn't even, I, yeah, I guess I didn't even recognize the fact that that sidebar disappeared. Yeah. And like, if you have the printed version of this, you, you won't be able gosh. to read it. But if you have the PDF, you can actually highlight that text and copy it somewhere else to read it in case you're curious. Like, it is Good not job. a game changer. And, it's just like, if you and, want the swamp yeah. skier, give it a aquatic speed instead of a, a aerial movement. Sheesh. Um, and then it also, there's also a secret message here oh. uh, to enter into your Dakota ring. <laughs> While we're talking about the vehicles, at some point you contacted me when you were developing Cobra Codex and said, we have too much, too many words. We have to cut this book down. And I was like, will the word count of this book ever be resolved? And so we talked about some of the options that could be cut and saved for later. And there's a couple of things that I wish I had thought oh, yeah. to save for later. So one of them is the Asp, one of them is the Stun, and one of them is the mm. Moccasin. Now, they are all iconic Cobra vehicles, but they are also iconic Python Patrol and Tiger Force vehicles. And so when after you contacted me and we've resolved that, I then outlined Ferocious Fighters. And I was like, shoot, Python Patrol's only got three vehicles and two of them are in Cobra Codex. 
So um, we made sure that any vehicle that shows up in Ferocious Fighters that has already been printed, it's different in some way. It's either oh, okay. a lower threat level or a higher threat level to reflect something like the Rattler is the Cobra Rat and it has its um, computer system taken out when it joins Tiger Force because, you know, it's a salvaged version of that plane. And so the first thing that's likely to go is the computers. Like we just made slight alterations like that. So it's not the end of the world. We're not having two back-to-back hardcovers right. with the exact same options in them. But yeah, had I put a little more thought into this, this these were the things that would have been better to cut and save for later. Fair enough. Yep. Yeah, we got the Cobra Jetpack in here, which really, it's all it's it's a slightly beefier version of the Jump Jetpack from the core rulebook. But because of the Rocketeer, I didn't want to say use the Jump Jetpack because that's clearly a G.I. Joe vehicle, even though we could have mm-hmm. just genericized it. But I decided... Uh, just add a jetpack based on the yeah. like this is an existing toy the cobra jetpack is something that hasbro put out so this is the stat block for that uh, i'm curious about the art for the hiss 2 because the hiss 2 has a uh, troop transport but it actually the troops fit under the guns so the toy is just this front part but the art includes the second trailer and i I'm, I'm not sure if you have any insight into it, but I'm just curious where the artist got the inspiration to add this trailer to the back of it. I think it looks cool. It might have been another weird like art reference situation. Oh, okay. Looked up something different <laughs> than uh, than uh, what uh, exists, or they looked up something. You know, I gave them. I probably gave them the, the box, right? Right. <laughs> Had to have given them the box. Um, I guess they just added a thing. All right, looks cool, and it still it makes sense for the capacities of the the vehicle. Because really, right, in yeah. real life, there would be engines and stuff where we could fit our figures in because it is just a hollow toy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And anyway, I think it looks cool. I like that the His Two is in there because it gives us both another version of the iconic vehicle and it gives a troop transport vehicle, which is important for PC related yeah. vehicle stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then the stun, the stun, I do not like. Just personally, as a vehicle, it's gigantic. Oh, okay. I feel like it should be slightly larger than a motorcycle, but instead, this thing is bigger than the Hiss, and it's just why it just feels all bulky and poorly proportioned. Mm-hmm. And it has the pods that split open gimmick, and it's like this doesn't do much. Like it, it's clearly <laughs> made as a toy instead of made as like a military concept first. <laughs> it's an actual weapon, yeah, vehicle, yeah. So anyway, I, I studied it out as much as, as best I could, and I tried not to uh, make fun of it in any of the writing. But just personal <laughs> note, I knew this vehicle had to be in here. I'm not a big fan. Uh, and then Water Moccasin is probably the vehicle from this section that was most likely to have made it into the core rulebook, but just didn't make the cut. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, wealth Test. So uh, we did not include Wealth Test in G.I. Joe because you just assume that Uncle Sam is paying for anything the Joes need on a mission. But so much of Cobra motivation is profit, like personal profit, yeah. profit for the organization. So this is something that has shown up in Power Rangers. I believe it's, is, is it in Transformers? Probably is. I don't think it is. Oh, okay. Actually. So. Uh, it might be something in Decept, something related in Decepticon. No, there's a little bit of a weird, like, uh, uh, Decepticon thing where you're, like, horse trading, like, during the requisition phase, you can, like give people points and take their points or so I don't know, some weird points thing but um uh yeah i don't think it's in transformers okay well anyway i based this on the power rangers one when yep. i turned it over and then my little pony came out and they had updated the wealth test in a way that i wish wealth test originally worked wealth test according to power rangers 
is just a flat bonus to a roll. And we don't have that anywhere in Essence 20. It's always oh, yeah. you add a die roll to it. And there's even an equal number of levels as there are dice that it could be. Dice, dice. And yeah. so, yeah. So when I saw that that My Little Pony, it, that wasn't a section of the My Little Pony book that I had worked on. But yeah, when I saw it show up like that in My Little Pony, I contacted you and was like, can we update this to reflect that? And I also like, uh, it doesn't say class it says financial situation because there is a subtle difference between a person's class mm -hmm. and a person's financial situation you can be mm -hmm. financially stable in a lower class job and vice versa like mm -hmm. it's sure yeah. there's a lot of complex sociological things going on there and i was just happier with this term i mean there's the whole situation of uh, uh you know you talk about how um i don't know like stories about like how like oh we're we come from a landed family, but we have no actual money. Mm, yeah. Right. Like, yeah, we have this manor house, but we can't really afford to pay the you know, the people who work here. So, yeah. All right. Chapter four, Cobra Campaigns. Uh, the art opening this up features the, uh, what are they called? The Night Stalkers, I believe. The, yeah, the Night Stalkers. Yeah. So we actually see the back of one Night Stalker, and I am so glad that is not figure accurate because the back makes it look like their armor is a bustier. Like, it's just like tied up. It oh. is a really a ridiculous design. But only in the back, like everything else. These are really cool figures, really cool design. Uh, and then, yeah, that one unfortunate choice is there. So I am glad we didn't just leave it to like people to assume that maybe they look the same. It's like, no, this is what the back of that figure should have looked like. Just yeah, solid okay. black just armor, body armor. Like normal the rest armor. <laughs> Forget, Night Stalkers don't have a stat block in here, right? <clears throat> um, do they? We talk about them somewhere because I that... Okay. I got that idea from something. I hold on. I can go into the index maybe. Um, yeah, because I didn't have that idea by myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. <laughs> there might be contacts. No, Night Creeper is a contact. Yeah, which is slightly different. Which is slightly different. Um, gosh, I don't remember now. Either T for threats. There's a lot of examples in the book, so it was probably somewhere earlier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably probably something I read in something else. Uh, so, but the Cobra campaigns chapter is something that I put a lot of effort into because, as I've been talking about, mm -hmm. like I needed this to be a functional campaign. It can't just be a one shot where you're the baddies and then you move on. I really wanted to say, like, what is a Cobra campaign that is different from a GI Joe campaign? So, like, that you get to rise through the ranks. Whereas GI Joe, it's like it's a lot more everybody's equal. Sure, there's the mission leader, but like you're not doing minimal things to get slight rank improvements. Whereas in Cobra, you're definitely doing that. You're doing everything you can to advance your yeah. station within the organization. So that's cool stories that you can tell in a Cobra campaign. And then of course we need to make sure that like, if you're the bad guys, some people might go into that thinking like you could just be absolutely chaotic, disrupt the game, make people uncomfortable at the table. So make sure you do not cross yeah. those lines. And then we go into defining Cobra, its purpose uh it's reached this actually at one point there was like a, a points system that you like when you're defining your campaign you calculate these different mm -hmm. uh, areas and you just cut that out you just didn't like it gosh i, I honestly don't remember that no? but it didn't i mean um it just seems like before for cobra yeah for defining cobra so the purpose uh is it this section or it might have been another section no, I think it was this section. Like your your tone is a level from one to five. One would be very cartoony. Five would be very realistic. Okay. I just maybe if I if I did cut it, I probably thought was thinking it didn't need to be so mathematical. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, it the you chapter know. reads better without it, honestly. Uh, so 
it was inspired by something called the uh shoot what was it the comic anyway it was something that i got from a podcast like 15 years ago Mm -hmm. where they were talking about when you're uh running a superhero game that means different things to different people so like sure yeah they came up with an acronym measured everything one to five and it's just to make sure that everyone is on the same page when you just give them like you know it's a c level three but it's an o level five and oh, it was just it, some was measure like violence and silliness. I think it was comic. I'm I'm not sure. And I know I've you know what? No, I'm not gonna look it up because I uh I went through a rabbit hole really trying to find this because mm. this actually made me realize that there are some things that are on the internet that do disappear. Because this podcast mm, stopped existing yeah. and I started like the six degrees of separation of like, okay, these are the hosts. Who do I know that knows <laughs> these hosts? So I did eventually find the podcast, but it, uh, it was kind of a fun experience just trying to find lost media. Mm-hmm. Something else in here, when we defined Cobra in the core rulebook, we went broad, which is why we didn't include Serpentor. He's not even mentioned in the core rulebook, I don't believe. Um, and then just talking about like Destro, Storm Shadow, Mercer all have specific points where they left the organization and it kind of shifts the overall story. So, like, how do you use these elements? You got to make sure that you are defining them right. Like, if they're still in the organization, are they destined to leave? Like, are you keeping with canon? So, things like that. I'm very happy with this chapter. I think that... Oh, yeah, it's good. I basically went into this book thinking, how would I use this functionally? Like, how how do I make the most functional product out of this? And this is probably the chapter that most reflects the thoughts that I had while I was writing it. I don't know. I thought I had something to say about that for a second. Oh, sorry. Turns out I don't. No, but no, but I don't. I really. I mean, this sort of thing is something I really think is important. I mean, especially the stuff at the beginning where you're talking about like, oh, this is an evil. You're talking about Cobra. You know, yeah. put the same same sort of thing in the Decepticon book too. Just sort of like, yeah, you know, we're talking about the bad guys of like, granted, cartoon, mm-hmm. but people, you know, even if you want to be cartoonishly villainous. You got you to gotta make sure everyone's cool with it, basically. Yeah. So one thing I also wanted to make sure didn't happen was um, in, if you think back to Force Unleashed and Finn's storyline where he's a stormtrooper, we see his humanity, we right, see that yeah. like stormtroopers are kind of mistreated and put into this situation. And then while he's escaping, he just starts blowing up a bunch of stormtroopers and seems giddy <laughs> about it. And it's like, this yeah. is incongruent with the story you were just telling. And so I needed to add depth to Cobra as an organization without ruining them as the villains in a G.I. Joe campaign. True. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So, like, if you're a little compassionate with the Cobra Vipers that you're shooting at, that's still good. But there's still room for them to be some pretty awful people that you just have to deal with. Just have to deal with them. I mean, again, but also, like, canonically in a cartoon, like we just said. They got parachutes. Yes. When you blow up their planes, right? Like it's like you know, no one really gets super hurt in a in a Jad Joe cartoon. But are we playing a cartoon? Are we playing the comic? But are we playing the cartoon yeah. exactly? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Then we have some locations. Arena of Sport is just one of those classic things where it means very little, but because it was where Cobra had uh, Duke and Snake Eyes fight each other in the cartoon, it just feels like mm-hmm. such a grand, yeah. over the top ridiculous situation uh accompanied by some fun art of joe's running from some incoming bats i don't know this feels like it's taken from the comic or is this an original art yeah no i think that's taken from the comic okay well it works perfectly uh cobra mountain was one of the cobra bases that was released as a toy so i adapted that yeah that uh 
uh, Dreadnought Everglades Hideaway. This is just something that across media is consistently where the Dreadnoughts, like it's what their base looked like in the cartoon and the comic, despite not having a toy. It's just one of those things that either in the document that went to both media teams, they were consistent about it, or they both kind of came to the same conclusion based on the descriptions. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is something that has always been consistent with the Dreadnoughts, that they have this Florida Everglade Hideaway. Uh, extensive Enterprises for your Crimson Guard. Uh, Mars Factory for if you're, <laughs> uh, you know, Destro's headquarters, whether he's aligned with Cobra or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Missile Command Headquarters is another Cobra base. In fact, it's the one that's in the middle of that display right behind me. There you go. Missile Command Headquarters just sounds like a toy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of generic, and it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Silent Castle was the setting of G.I. Joe issue number 21, so the most famous issue of G.I. Joe, and then it would come back multiple times in the comics, including one time where uh, Destro activated its defenses, so it was like the building's configuration was changing. And then Megatron, who was coming to Earth after losing a fight oh, against man. the Autobots and needed to be repaired, he's like, aha, a fellow Cybertronian. And so he lands at the <laughs> castle and it's like, this isn't a Cybertronian, this is a building. But that's where yeah. he makes cover commander. Uh, then we have Springfield. So Springfield, the undercover residence for like the Cobra operatives' families, uh, where like you can be right in the heart of America and be completely evil. Normally undercover, this art is a piece that you were already <laughs> talking about. That is, yeah, <laughs> it may give away Not the so. allegiance, but it's wonderful. I so love it so much. I'm so proud of that one. <laughs> but you know, it's just it, it is sort of a thing like you know, like that. That's where you're like everything. I mean, like ninety percent of that art is. Incongruous, not incongruous, just inconspicuous. It's yeah. it's it's just gonna there's some kids and there's some plants, there's bushes and some real standard uh, uh suburb houses mm-hmm. and then it's sort of like as you're going through it and then you look and you say oh, that kid is wearing cobra helmet while he's playing yeah. oh, whatever it looks like <laughs> and then and then you turn and like the lady's cutting a bush into the cobra symbol and you're like uh oh we're in trouble oh it's so good uh then we got terradromes so it's plural because in the comics terradromes was a uh, a cobra pyramid scheme where they would sell these to different countries as bases of operation and it ended up that they you know then cobra uh activated the secret uh, programming within the terradromes and would mm-hmm. cause mass panic in the region and they would come in and they would take over. So I went with that version of the story instead of just a single terradrome, even though the idea that kids were expected to buy multiple terradromes to tell that story is frankly yeah. ridiculous. Uh, but also in my <laughs> display behind me, there's the terradrome, mm-hmm. which I know people cannot see, but they've seen pictures of my office. They know what's uh, behind me. The locations were actually something that I had planned on putting in the first draft. But then I got to the point where I thought I was actually over word count and for some reason never did a word, just check to see how many words I was at. Uh, So I didn't write that until the second time around. Uh, Again, I do not know how, how I missed, how much I missed the mark here. All right, Threats and Rivals. In the turnover for the Judge or Role-Playing Game Core Rulebook, attacks were written, written out like in a lot more detail than they were in the Power Rangers Core Rulebook. And after I turned it over, I was asked, can you make it more in line with the Transformer, uh, with the Power Rangers version? I was like, I don't understand the Power Rangers format. So if you can teach it to me, then I can update it. And they were like, you know what? Fine. We'll just have G.I. Joe does it that way. Power Rangers does it this way. And then after that, I learned the Power Rangers way of doing it and made, made the effort to make sure that all of these threats had that format. And then you formatted it 
back to the way it is in the core rulebook. So like we both did a step of work to get oh, to yeah. like what the same place. Yeah, to get to the same place. What what do you mean by like so instead detailed. of having alternate effects, hands, traits all lined out, all statted out, oh, instead right. it's like just one or two lines of just kind of encoded information. Okay. And um yeah, so Dude, I uh... Yeah, just sort of like uh, all my entire time at Renegade, I was going really just with these stat blocks. I don't need to be like kind of um, formalized in some way. Okay. So and no, because they're all they're generally kind of all over the place, and just sort of figuring out what is important and what isn't. And I'm still not sure if I got it right. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest. So well, I uh, when you started formalizing it, like what goes in perks, what goes in powers, became clearer. Uh, Hang up line is not something that was I was using in core rulebook, but now yeah. I use it because there's like there's definitely some stuff that I just called a perk, but it's not a perk at all. It is completely to the disadvantage of that threat, hmm. and it would have been a, a hang up if I was properly formatting yeah. it. I also like that you moved the description to right after the name, whereas it used to just be between the defenses and the skills, which I never really found was a great spot for that. Oh yeah, that was kind of a layout ask. Oh okay. <laughs> think which makes and it made sense to me. Yeah. So yeah. In outlining the threats section, this was something that I wanted to make sure that uh, if you're running a Cobra campaign, like when I was doing the threats in the GI Joe book, that you had a variety that you can fill in the gaps, so that no matter what level your campaign was, you had an appropriate number of threats. I don't quite have the same number of like lieutenant types. Like I probably should have put some more lesser known Joes at the like five to 15 range, mm. just so that you have mm. a boss every couple of levels. But the idea that you would have the four different, like the firebrand, the ghost, the infantry and the support could be any of basically any of the Joes would fall into one of those four categories. And then the experience yeah. level of um, green shirt to rawhide to uh, average, Joe. average Joe. Yeah. So those then just like, Picture any G.I. Joe, you will fit them into one of those 12 different yeah. generic stat blocks. And each generic stat block then has a couple of choices that you make so that you can then customize it. So you can have a whole yeah. squad of green shirt infantry, and each one could be slightly different. I think in the adventure in the back of this book, it talks about two Joes that are... Yeah, and um, how to, Crankcase how to, uh, and Tripwire. Crankcase and Tripwire, how to use these stat blocks to represent them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so this was... Um, I, I, I'm happy with what I did here. I think it, it creates a lot yeah, of flexibility uh, without taking up too much room and without being too complex. Yeah. Um, it is funny to me that your av the average Joe is uh, power level 10, but... Uh, well, because that's average that's for a Joe. Average, average for a Joe. Yeah, yeah. Very important. And then, yeah, so you said like for almost like a name, probably a name Joe, but you, we're not giving you their names. Yeah. And then I also put some generic threats. Uh, I really like the local hero. It's just a threat level zero, but with the stand-up citizen where they just will not tolerate Cobra's interaction. Yeah. <laughs> Their only weapon is a rock, but yeah, they... Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, it, it does a lot with very little unique words in this build. Uh, yeah, guard dog, law enforcement officer. So that's all just to say you're not strictly yeah. going to be fighting G.I. Joe this whole time. Oh, and government agents, they fall into the same category. They're the yeah. higher level generic threat you'll be facing. And then the other thing, so um, 
there were some Cobra threats originally, but this was also an area that I got to add a lot more Cobra threats when I realized the word count we mm -hmm. needed. So I think originally we had one version of the Alley Viper, so now we have an Alley Viper and an Alley Viper Elite. And the Bio Viper, I don't think, made the cut. But, oh, no, no, no. I think he did. I but, think I just wanted some kind of monster in there. Yeah, Bio Viper's in here. Yeah. Oh, no, but I mean in my original turnover versus my second oh, turnover. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah it's because this was an area that I added some word count. But yeah, Bio Viper was in there because it was like the threat version of the alterations, the genetic ones, and then the mm -hmm. Cyber Viper is the cybernetic alterations. And by the way, I forgot that this version of the Cyber Viper existed. So I was thinking of the first one, which is like neon yellow and interesting sculpt, but terribly colored. Whereas this is <laughs> such a cool design. And I am so glad that this is the one we went with for the art. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I like it. It shows off, you know, he's got a, he's got a mechanical arm. Mm -hmm. Yep, he's cybernetic. That's all you really need to know. Uh, Neo Viper was originally written for the core rule book and got cut mm. because there was so many threats written for the core rule yeah. book. Uh, but yeah, this is just as you're going up to higher level when you still want a generic looking trooper, but you want them to be a little tougher. You throw the Neo Vipers at your players. Night Creeper, I think, was just totally added for no reason other than that Night Creepers are cool. Fair. Uh, Toxo Viper is... Toxo Viper comes up in almost every adventure that I write, so this was a... This was something that I had written just for a home game and then added to the core rubric because I already had the stat block for him. Uh, Toxo Zombie because uh, uh, it's reflecting some of the poison rules and uh, the bio technician creates Toxo Zombies, right? That's one of their perks. It's something, yeah, yeah. I think so. Something like that. Oh, uh, Big Boa was not originally statted out. And I that was something yeah. that I felt was a mistake because he's such a major part of the adventure at the end and he gets yeah. name dropped several times. So yeah, I got to add big boa. Tespool is mainly in here because he's threat level seven <laughs> and we didn't have a good leader type mm -hmm. and named Cobra at that threat level. So he was thrown in. Uh, and also because of all the, the, the rules that were added that compliment him. Croc masters in there. Cause I love Croc master and Serpenter's in there because he really was like, this is a center point threat for this book. He, is one of the most recognizable characters that did not make the cut in the G.I. Joe Coral book sure. uh, because he he takes too much explaining. And so this book gave <laughs> us a chance to explain him. Oh, and then Tombstone. Tombstone's another character that did not make the cut, but man, Tombstone's cool. And he's more sympathetic than most Cobra-named characters. And yeah. that's useful in a Cobra campaign because it's going to be nice to have the one officer you can actually trust. He actually cares about the lives of the Cobra troopers that he uh, leads. So yeah, glad he made the cut too. And I've seen some people, like, he's the type of character that most people don't know exists. He came out in a pretty right. obscure part of the toy line. So we get to introduce these new characters to people uh, for the first time. Ooh, and I just saw I named his gun Ghostmaker. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and then Contacts. So yeah, this is another big chunk of big text chunk. that uh, yeah. one, would not have been possible by my original turnover, and two, really helped fill out those numbers that I needed. Uh, but it also, like, it's a great way to represent characters. Like, I've really fallen in love with the contact rules, and it just gives... Like, we didn't stat up Wild Weasel, but we've got a contact for Wild Weasel, so if he's a character sure, you yeah. want to interact with, here's a way you can do it in a mechanically meaningful way. Sometimes you just need that little, yeah, yeah. place to do the NPCs that aren't full stat blocks. Yeah, and like Meta Viper, Meta Viper would be a pain in the butt as a threat because he's keeping people alive, and it just means that the... Pro like. The arc of how a combat is going keeps resetting because 
you might have a threat that's just constantly healing people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's annoying uh, to GMs. But to players who need the healer, this is definitely a, a useful contact to have. Yeah. Uh, I like... Somebody uh, on the Discord is talking about how the majority of the contacts in the game right now are Cobra or My Little Pony characters. And that's just because <laughs> we haven't had a chance to do like a big book of Joe co- contacts yet. So yeah, Cobra far outnumbers the number of Joes. Uh, contacts are also fun to write because you get to call out like an obscure part of their character and just throw in as one of oh, their yeah, contact yeah. perks. Like, the contact perks yeah. uh, it's just so fun. Uh, and I think that's it, um, except for the adventure, right? Which we won't adventure. go into right now. It's been quite a long yeah. episode. There's we a lot in do this that book. Another time. There's a lot in the book. It's 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 almost another four full core rule book, except for it doesn't have all the rules in it. It's just more options mm. and stuff. Which was one of the things I was worried about with it being one of the first, well, originally scheduled to be the first supplement to the G.I. Joe core rulebook, is that because we weren't going to put the Essence 20 rules in this, it meant that we would have more rules for playing Cobra than we would have for G.I. Joe, or at least more options, because we're filling up a comparable yeah. size book with like three chapters more, uh, dedicated to more options. But I am glad that it really does give us a chance to do different tone to the options, but also just more options yeah. that are viable for any character, not just uh, right. Not exactly. Just like it's not just yeah. You can throw all all of this into the Joe mix, so Joe now has double in a lot of ways. Exactly. And plus, now Joe's had a couple of other books that are actually, I guess, right. just at this point, the only just options book is the Sergeant Slaughter book. But with mm. Ferocious Fighters coming out, oh, you know what? That's a, a pretty even split between. Joe and Cobra. Actually, the Cobra Kovacs coming out so early means that when we have a book like Ferocious Fighters, we can say, here's Joe options, here's Cobra options, and that's all building on stuff that we've come up with earlier. So, yeah, I've read good reviews for the Cobra Codex. I've read some people that were surprised with just how good it was, which makes me feel pretty good. And uh, it was was a rocky journey that got us here, but in the end, uh, I'm really happy with how this book turned out. Yeah, it looks great. Thank you for joining us for episode 25 of Upshift, No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast. If you want to find more great gaming podcasts and also some great blog content, you can go to nodirectionpodcast.com. I want to say thank you to our patrons. You can find out more at patreon.com slash nodirection. And of course, thank you to Word Burglar for the use of Letters from Snake Eyes Part 4. Find out more at wordburglar.com. Until next time, I'm Ron Costello. And I'm Jason Keeley, and you are destined for greatness, and Cobra will pave the way! See you in two weeks for the next episode of Ocean. Was that a reference to the book, or a reference to Cobra and Dominic? Um, it's something Cobra said. Some things are better left unsaid, except my demons that were screaming like the undead. I let them in every day, my main meditation was taking them down, my pain medication, Shanna sigh. And she knew she couldn't call me At least until I found out what happened to Tommy That mission was private For now the objective was stopping the threat Of this venomous collective Spreading across the globe I was ready to lock and load With flash, grand slam, clutch, zap, and rock and roll Hawk, steal a grunt, breaker, and short fuse And before I knew I gained a whole lot more to lose